Welcome to Missouri Loves Company. I'm your host, Brock Wilbur, and with me is my co-host... Vivian Kane. And uh, this is our third episode. Yeah. We made it this far. We had one intro with really bad sound where we said why we're here, and then we had a real episode, and now we have... An even realer episode. Now now we're so real. Perhaps too real. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Thank you for rating and sharing this. This has been the uh, biggest release of a podcast I've ever had. And I have to think that that's because uh, people dislike me more and now like my wife a lot. Uh, and, and somewhere in the middle, uh, we've our, our Q rating has, yeah, has balanced. I also kind of think that maybe a lot of people want to leave L.A. Uh, that might have something to do with it. Everyone loves Missouri. <laughs> yeah, everyone loves elsewhere, I think. that's <laughs> uh, So this week uh, in Kansas City Adventures, we went to see St. Vincent at the mm-hmm. Uptown Theater. Uh, I had been nervous because friends had seen uh, her test shows in L.A., and they were like, she doesn't have a band anymore. It's just her with these backing tracks just doing songs off the new album. And indeed, that was the second act, while mm-hmm. the first act was her doing completely reimagined versions of all of her greatest hits. Uh, but it was still just a one-woman show, uh, that was just brutal and loud and incredible from start to finish. And, and sometimes she just laid on the floor in a fetal position and sang songs. It was amazing. This was your first St. Vincent. What did you think of it? I still haven't asked you. Uh, well, she sang a song in a fetal position, and then I went and cried in a bathroom, and then I came back out, and we had fun, and everything was great. Is that not what you do at a St. Vincent show? That is the level of sharing we're doing on this podcast. I think that's what a St. Vincent show is. Yes. No one laughed. Yeah. <laughs> there <laughs> There's no one go. to laugh. <laughs> you. You're supposed to laugh at all. Would you jokes. like to introduce our guest tonight? Yes. So uh, we were walking to a craft fair. At a church. We were at going a to a church. Yeah, we were going to a church. To the only thing we would do at a church, which is shop. Um, and we... The money lenders <laughs> in the church marketplace, we are bad at everything. And while we were walking through our awesome neighborhood, which we've fallen in love with, we passed by a record store and... Since Brock has a wall of vinyl in our home, uh, we obviously went in and met the one of the coolest, but I don't want to say the coolest because then Godfrey from last week would be mad. We met one of the coolest people that we've met in Kansas City, Marion Merritt, who runs Merritt, Re- I didn't, I don't pay attention to signs, Merritt Records? Records with Merritt. See, Brock, introduce our guest. <laughs> I don't pay attention you to things. You said you wanted more responsibility. I don't pay attention to things in the world. Brock, introduce our guest. I would get it wrong. <laughs> okay. I would get it wrong. <laughs> that makes me feel better. First of all, it's a great name, Records with Merit. It, yeah. It's one of those with things Mer- that you're like... You, Marion Merrill Merit. It's it's like our fun <laughs> nickname. <laughs> I did not want to call it with my name, but it, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was digging deep, deep, deep for a David Bowie kind of reference. <laughs> And I couldn't come up with the right David Bowie reference, and that just came up. I think this name has merit. Yeah. 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 I'm afraid of first pressings. That's the best I've got, and it's still bad. Like, there's no great Bowie. And so you've lived here for how long, have you said? Oh, my gosh. I've lived in Kansas City for over 30 years. And before that, you were in L.A., right? I was in Columbia, okay. and then St. Louis, and then L.A. Wow. And, and, and that's because you had uh, parents that were living in different cities. Exactly. So you grew up bouncing between Missouri and, and Los Angeles. Yes. Like us. Yes. Except not growing not up. It's like just us. right now. We just bounced once. Yeah. Uh, it was a culture shock to go to St. Louis for the first time. And you think you're going to enjoy winter? Wait till, you, wait till it comes around. It's a shock. It's going to look yeah. really pretty. But, but I was so called Hollywood a lot. Oh. <laughs> yes, in grade school I was called Hollywood by people because I came from Los Angeles. Oh, you're so fancy. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. 
what did you like best about Hollywood and what did you like least, uh, especially in the growing up period? I love L.A. because I wanted to be a hippie, <laughs> but I, I couldn't quite be a hippie, but I tried to be a hippie and I would go barefoot and, and restructure my jeans and, and things like that. So I did. I, I think my growing up in L.A. at that time was still a really nice place. We didn't have the gangs quite yet. They were still around, but they haven't exploded. You could still go to grade school, junior high school, and high school without that problem. So I was actually kind of glad I graduated from high school in St. Louis hmm. because I did start high school in, in L.A., but I was glad that we I had to move back to St. Louis because it would have been, it was a better place to go to high school for sure. So that was the first time you moved to St. Louis? No, right? I, no. I, okay. oh my God, there's so many times it's hard to, oh, okay. to, so the first time was the first grade, then back and forth for the fifth grade, and then back and forth for the seventh grade, then back and forth for the ninth grade. Wow. <laughs> and then from then on, I'm just in St. Louis now. Wow. Right. And, and then, my, my high school's gone. Oh, okay. It's been torn down. Yes. And then when did you officially settle here? I went to MU in Columbia to go to journalism school, and I was doing copy at the Times at the time, Kansas City Times. But then I decided I've got the soul of an artist, but not the creativity. But I thought I would go to the Art Institute, and which what, that drives what was a your angle there? Uh, photography, but I had won awards in high school for for art, and but that's where it stopped. <laughs> I think that's where I peaked. <laughs> I feel like a Boom, lot, sad carpet. A yeah. lot of the people that I went to theater school with uh, had that same sort of we inclination. We have the soul of an artist, exactly. but we're not really an artist. Yeah, yes. sometimes but that's a master's program, so that you've you've really gone no far. both both. <laughs> I have two degrees in pretending. Wow, yeah. she does so many accents poorly. Yeah, now that I've switched from acting to writing, that's the extent of it. I just <laughs> I just do bad accents around the house all day. It's it's a great use of a grad degree. So I think that she had gotten into right before we left Los Angeles was that she was getting groups of women together to read bullshit male written plays about men it's, like American Buffalo. It's and a dream I had when I was 18 and I was uh, a theater undergrad and a women's studies minor and I had this dream and it didn't, I didn't actually do anything with it until like two years ago. And yeah, I got a couple women together to read um, American Buffalo. I bet that's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And we didn't really know imagine. what to do. Like, do we switch the pronouns or do we just, you know, ignore pronouns? But with and... the intention that afterwards we all have a discussion about like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> just read it. Just read it the way it's written. Yeah. And that's the funniest way. Yep. Yes. And um, Brock met uh, a, a waitress at Beer Kitchen, one of our favorite restaurants here Chelsea, in Chelsea, who will City. definitely be on this Chelsea, show. Chelsea, if you're listening, hi, Chelsea. We're going to be friends. Um, Brock met her when, when he was there by himself, so he has just talked to her about this with me. So, hi, Chelsea. Uh, and I have a dream now to get a hold of uh, Louis C.K.'s script for I Love, I love you, you, Daddy. Daddy. <laughs> the film that will not be released. It will never be seen, but screeners have been sent out to people, and I want to do an all-female reading of that. For a good cause around the holidays. Yeah, right. the good cause. We'll, we'll do some good cause other than just our own enjoyment. Why did we start talking about this? Feminism. Just, right. What, yeah, what we're <laughs> yeah. doing, what we're doing now, yes. And we're waiting every day somebody falls. Oh, yeah. Every and this day. was actually the first conversation we had. Yeah. We, walked, we yeah. walked into your record store, and my <laughs> wife picked up a brand new Dejan Tentu album. Yes. 
and made which, a funny face. Which we'd been going through several days of, of dealing with that, and it was like, boof, rough you, time for this. Been uh, going through that because of your podcast, your other e- podcast. My email podcast, yeah. which takes its name and its art yeah. from that mm-hmm. band, and deciding whether or not do we keep that because it belongs to us, or do we change... Plug that. What's the name of that? The Coolest Kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we entered into a conversation, which is uh, some of the things that you raised in that conversation are now things that we talk about around the house. And uh, as, as part of this, like, uh, every day somebody falls, I, I believe we raised in that conversation the question of, like, when does somebody speak out against the Rolling Stones? Right. Or do we not do that? Because it's, it is that sort of thing. Like, I've watched a number of documentaries on the Rolling Stones with my dad, and we all just sort of giggle about all the people they had sex with. Or, like, Led Zeppelin's Houses of the Holy yeah. was the reason that they had to invent multi-track recording because they were all having sex with teenagers in the hotel next to the studio, and they couldn't come into the studio at the same time. Yeah, I don't so. feel like there are revelations there yeah. in the same way as, like, feminist comedians If or you've never buried producers. it. I yeah, think there exactly. was a rape allegation against either the Stones or Led Zeppelin. One. That doesn't, yeah, yeah that's one. both everyone. I yeah. don't know, that doesn't surprise yeah. me in the same way as it does. Even, even like the most bullshit Hollywood producer like Harvey Weinstein, like that still isn't as, they don't make documentaries about all the people he's had sex with yet. As I'm saying it, that is definitely in the making. I don't want to see it. No, no one <laughs> wants, wanna see no one it. wants to see it, but see I'm it. sure a million people are making it. I was a huge Woody Allen fan, mm. like a lot of people of my age. And I always felt betrayed after he hooked up with Sun Yi because I said that he actually, like a predator, conditioned us. Mm -hmm. Because we all saw Manhattan. Mm -hmm. We all thought Manhattan was so great. And we're like, wait a minute. You know, Muriel Hemingway is 15 years old in real life. Yeah. And so he conditioned us just like a a predator does. And we, oh, it's such a great movie. I love it. And then you're like, well, that's my fault. Yeah. That's my fault. He turned it into art. And then it's hard to criticize the reality that the art is based on. It's, yeah, it's it's total grooming, conditioning. A a girl I went to college with was in the first season of Louis' show, Louis, where uh, he sees her on an elevator and goes back to his apartment and masturbates while thinking about masturbating in front of her. Mm-hmm. And I remember her telling her family to all tune in to see her TV debut, but not telling them what it was about. And oh. her like very rich New York family was like, but like now, like she's being pulled back out because people are sort of putting together these mega mix videos of all the times that he. Conditioned he told us, us to, who he was. I'm just mm-hmm. letting you know who I am. And Woody Allen is, a, I have a friend who I went to go cat sit for back in Los Angeles. And he is a Jewish, uh, spectacled, uh, mm-hmm. neurotic actor who, like, he owes his career to Woody Allen carving that out. And he has this whole corner of his apartment where he has, like, signed copies of, like, the Annie Hall script and stuff. And I was like, this is such a weird shrine because, like, I know you must have spent so much money on this a couple of years too soon. Yeah. And now it's just here as a reminder of like, whoops, uh, like yeah. I don't. <laughs> well, a couple of years too soon, but also when did that start for him? Like not just the spending money on it, but yeah, right. decades ago. And I'm just, I am so proud because I live in this. I write about it. I look at it every day. I am just so thankful for every person and every man I'm especially thankful for every man who really relates to Woody Allen or Louis CK who turns around and says no fuck that guy because if you relate to them if they were your model for your career if, if, if they're a role model for you now it's 
it's so hard. I get it. It's so hard to to turn on that and to separate the art from the artist and anyone that can do it is doing the right thing. I've always been upset with Roman Polanski, yeah. you know, <laughs> because I could never understand why Roman Polanski picks up two more Academy Awards when he can't even come into the country. Yeah. Because he's, uh, he, there's still a warrant for his arrest. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. she wrote an incredible piece because on Halloween night we had some friends over and Viv's, Viv won't watch things that involve abusive men. Like, Louis is completely off the table, but Halloween night, she was like, you know what we want to watch? Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And then the next day was like, I have this wave of guilt yeah. and I have to yeah. write about it. And and a big part of that is that, like, like I, I it's not that I boycott Louis C.K. or Woody Allen. I mean, kind of Woody Allen. But it's more like, I loved Louis. I loved that show. And it spoke to me. But because it's... Like, it's not just, like, Roman Polanski making movies. It's Louis C.K. putting his personal comedy and his face into this product that watching... I can't enjoy that show because that would be enjoying him as a person, and I can't do that. And I like the way you said he told us because when he did he the Saturday us. Night Live skit, yeah. it was like... Are you kidding me? Because I never watched the show, really. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's are you great, and I'm sorry yeah. you can never enjoy it. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Is he yeah. actually talking about child molestation as a joke? Yeah. And it's just like, oh, this is this is this is not feeling good right yeah. now. Now this is this is the point where me and Viv could uh, keep doing this conversation that we <laughs> yeah. have all day every day. Yeah. This is the only thing I've ever talked about you, in my life. <laughs> you are an appreciator of music who has yeah. been through many different phases of music stuff that we have not. Who was your first hero that you sort of lost, and how do you deal with that? That's the saddest it's, question. It still has to be Bowie, because mm-hmm. I discovered Bowie when I was probably in the seventh grade, and I was afraid of Bowie, because I saw those <laughs> pictures. If, if you, It was probably in Cream or Tiger Beat, mm-hmm. and he's still doing Ziggy, and he's on stage and he's got the makeup and the hair and he's screaming out in the audience and all the girls and everybody in the audience are crying. I was afraid of him. And then a a show called Midnight Special Mm -hmm. did the 1984 floor show, which the whole Midnight Special was nothing but Bowie doing uh, Diamond Dogs, essentially. (laughs) And I ran out and got the album the next day. And I've been a Bowie person since then. And so it does, that does hurt. It still hurts. Because I was afraid of him and then fell in love with him. And, you know, my whole family, um, I was the weirdo. But and then Bowie shows up on, you know, Soul Train. And all of a sudden, David Bowie's okay. Yeah. Because he's on Soul Train. Oh, we've all yeah. always been yeah. weirdos because yeah. that's yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's so funny because being of a different generation, I had the same inroad to Bowie. I was scared of Labyrinth. Yeah, I was scared of him in <laughs> yeah. Labyrinth, yeah. and then I fell in love with him. Exactly. I've I've <laughs> always listened when I grew up, especially in L.A. You had I'd listen, of course. I listened to Casey Kasem every Saturday. <laughs> American Top Forty was what I listened to every Saturday. But the stations were still. You know, one minute you might have heard Dylan and you might have heard Michael Jackson next or Jackson 5 at the time. And so it was such a mix. I grew up that way. And then my older cousin um, started, you know, I started listening to Neil Young through her, Led Zeppelin through her. And then I just kept, you know, it's just broad that way. Yeah. And then were you the coolest kid in St. Louis? No, 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 I was. And I was a very quiet kid in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. When did, when did vinyl find its way into your life? Like as a kid? As a kid at first, because when I grew up, it was still 45s. And you had the cheap little player in your room. 
And then the living room was the console where you couldn't touch. That's where we are now. Yeah, <laughs> you can't touch the console. And then my very first album as a $1.99 album was Carol King's Tapestry. Oh, oh my wow. God. Yeah, $1.99. The, the store was on the corner. Do you of, happen to still have that record? No. <laughs> <laughs> the, it was, the store was on the corner of uh, Adams and La Brea. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just a nice little record store, $1.99 or wow. two ninety nine. And I love that album. I played it to death. I actually wrote her a mash note from the, and I used the address that's on the back of the album for, for the record label. And I was actually expecting an answer because it seemed like she was speaking to me. Yeah. You know, we, we seemed very close. And of course she wrote me back, but no, she never did. But that was my first full length album as, as my, my own purchase. Yeah. Viv, did you ever write to a celebrity as a kid? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Scott Wolf, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Like, I bought a little book that had their their addresses, like their agencies. Oh, addresses. the JTT compendium. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember it. I... Uh, I don't know why my parents let me do this, but we had a garage that was separate from the house and I decided it would be fun to climb up there on a ladder and just sit on the roof and write letters to celebrities. I don't know why my parents let me do this, but I do have a memory of that and getting a few headshots in return. So I wrote to Shel Silverstein when I was in grade school, oh. <laughs> uh, author of Where the Sidewalk yes. Ends. Uh, and it turns out he fucking hates kids and yes. also uh, hates kids the state of Kansas and the state of Kansas was trying to like right after uh, where the sidewalk ends came out, give him an award for best children's author. He was mad about that. And then he got my letter and he responded to it with just this, like there's no profanity in it, but it was a sort of screed that a serial killer would etch into paper. And I feel like he got out all his anger at children towards me because that guy wrote like the lyrics to ride captain ride on your mystery ship. And he just wanted to keep writing lyrics for 70s rock bands. He also did like <laughs> some pornographic sketches that were, are pretty awesome. Just like Raul Dahl has the book yes. Bitch. Yeah. Uh, like all these guys hate kids and didn't want to be here. And they're like, where the sidewalk ends when I put the gun in my mouth. That's what I got. <laughs> like, and, and, but to get the letter back and to have him just be so mad that a child had written to him, I was like, well, all right. I this guess this is, is the end of that sidewalk ends. Do you still have? Do you, do you still have the letter? I do not. You know, oh, I lost my mom. Yeah. Oh, I really hope your mom still has the letter. Well, I'm still waiting for my letter from Carol King. I'm still <laughs> waiting for JTT. Uh, well, this is the saddest. So you, uh, <laughs> you have vinyl records as a kid. Obviously, vinyl like goes out for a long period of time. Exactly. When do you get back into the the vinyl game? Probably about 10 years ago, but slowly, because I also worked where I sold CDs. And, um, what are those? No, I'm just yeah, kidding. Uh, when well, I, Sam Goody was... Uh... <laughs> it wasn't Sam Goody, but it was... When, where, when I started working with CDs, we had, in our department, 37,000 CDs wow. to 39 because we did inventory four times a year, so we know. <laughs> and so I still have a lot more CDs than I do albums. But I have double and triple, of, especially Bowie. <laughs> I've got, I probably have six different versions of the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. You know, two on vinyl and the rest on CD. Yes, at least, at a minimum. But I, you know, we would go, there wasn't really, a, there was used stores here in Kansas City, but nothing really new. So we would go up to Love Garden in, in Lawrence. 
and make a trip every couple of months, go up there and spend. And you're like, oh my God, I spent $80? I spent $100? Now I can see. Yeah. Vinyl is always this yeah. experience. Wait, where did my money go? Right. Yeah, exactly. Where did it go? And also, if Brock ever said like, oh, I can't believe I spent $100, yes. I'd be like, good job today. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, <laughs> really yeah, cut it under. Vinyl, vinyl purchases have gone way up. <laughs> and then we, I, I don't really like used records a lot. I, I hate to say it. I know people love first pressings and they want to get the original but I really don't want to hear pops and hisses if I don't have to yeah and I don't trust grading on records especially used records because I've seen things that are supposed to be mint and it's like really if this is mint what is very good so I really started buying records online too at other music out of New York and places like that that have a, a little bit of a deeper catalog and where I could get new vinyls. So when I was when you walked them, into your place yeah. and you're like, I only sell new vinyls. Like, I don't <laughs> think I've ever been in a record store that has that that limitation. It's it's just me. And when we opened, uh, on 39th Street, we had Vinyl Renaissance, which probably had, you know, 10,000 records used. And we, across the street from Vinyl Renaissance, where the um, bagel place is now, was a place called Zebedee's that had a ton of used records. And then you had used records at Mills. I was surrounded by so many used records that it's I really didn't want to It's weird that a business with that. the name Zebedee's didn't uh, <laughs> succeed. Or they had to ch- actually try to keep the name. They moved downtown, and now that's Revolution Records because oh, okay. they couldn't keep the name. But um, I, I think that was one of the decisions. It was a personal decision because I'm not going to grade records. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to uh, argue with people who con- and really insisted their Michael Jackson thriller is worth three hundred dollars. <laughs> When you try to explain to them, you're, you're making me so sad. It seems like, just does seem like so oh much no, time. no. It's just like no. I, you just try to say, well, you have to remember they had 55 million of these pressed. But I have this one, right. and it's and unless, special. Unless you could prove Michael Jackson actually signed this, <laughs> it's worth whatever. To what degree do you fuck with the discogs? I only do it because I have a, a special customer. I do a lot of hand shopping for people. One of my customers lives in Alabama and he's blind. And we do a lot of completing of catalogs. Oh, wow. And these are all CDs. These aren't records because he has a record player, but as you can imagine, he's blind and he doesn't... Sorry, I'll do the aside for people that don't know. Discogs is a discogs.com, a website out of the Netherlands where every music release on every format is listed and people can sell copies of their thing. it is a great place to find that record you're looking for, but a great place to find that record either at one-tenth the price you thought it would be or 10,000 exactly. times the cost of what you thought it would be. And everyone files their thing. It's, it's basically the thing you're talking about, like people that live this life of like rating it very good versus new, but also like what does that do? I uh, actually, people turn yeah. incredible profits on this side. I'm glad you explained that for, for everyone else out there. Everyone I try in this to, house yeah. definitely understands everything about vinyl i try to talk people who want me to search for out of print albums for them a lot of times i try to talk them out of it uh-huh. because i'm like oh i know this is very good but it's going to be awful and you get it and it is awful and yeah, i just you'll, you'll I find it'd be like it was yeah. five dollars oh my god i've, I've got it now right. and it doesn't play in any reasonable way Brock. Even for CDs, though, for and I do Discogs almost every day. I'm on Amazon almost every day. And because we, like right now, I'm sending him a box of probably packed to go with 40 CDs. And this is like twice a month. 
So it takes a lot of time because he has a talking computer, but it would take a lot of time because I'm shopping for him like I shop for myself. Right. I'm looking for the cheapest and the best, hopefully new. And we have a limit. We're not going to pay $50 for an album, a CD. Right. You know, crazy things like that. Yeah. So I'm on that site a lot, but it's just, it's, it's maddening. So for that, yeah. for that guy, you're, you're finishing his collection of something. You're just trying to get everything you can get. We, to... we, we have a, we've become friends over the last three and a half years and he is a completist. Okay. And so that's why I'm finishing things. So he'll say, I've got 30 Johnny Cashes. I need you to fill in with the rest, <laughs> which is still a ton of Johnny Cashes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like you that. have in your place a very limited space, which I, it was sort of the shock of being in there and knowing it was all new. You had albums that are still newish in the last year or so that were already in your discount bins. And as you were explaining to me, as we were checking out, there's just not enough space to keep some of these if they haven't sold yet. How are you turning a profit? How do you keep this business alive at this point? Because it's so difficult. The margin and markup on an album is not that great. So how we keep it is our rent is fairly reasonable. Ann and I are partners and we're partners in life and at the store. And we, we have to, if I'm sick or she's sick, somebody still has to go to work. And she's and, great. I met her yeah, when I came yeah. back in to return yes, a duplicate exactly. record. <laughs> yes. And so I think the overhead is what, what I do. And I've got this. You know, I used to buy when I didn't have to spend my own money mm-hmm. and I could buy anything I wanted to and box sets and and I still haven't pulled myself back from that yet. <laughs> and I that's why again the albums are at twenty percent. There's nothing wrong with them. We just didn't have room for them. Right. And because that's I have I got this the yeah, soundtrack. <laughs> and that's why I have this habit of still buying uh, things that I enjoy, and I think somebody else might enjoy them too. Certain things, you know, St. Vincent, you don't have to worry about. You're going no, to sell. Somebody all of will those. always, somebody right. will make that their first vinyl. They will buy a turntable to listen to St. Vincent. <laughs> exactly, but I always, I have something like um, there's this guy who went into the uh, Filipino rainforest in the '80s, and the in the jungle to record the shamans. And he only got away with one cassette because the rebels came and took all of his equipment. It's just like Apocalypse Now, you know, if you've seen the Heart of Darkness where they had to deal with the rebels in the jungle. And so I said, okay, nobody's going to want that, but I've got to have it here. Yeah. You know, nobody's going to buy that, but I've got to have it. So I've got this still bad tendency to get things that nobody will probably want, but then you never know who's going to walk through the door. And a musician from California actually ended up buying it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Via the website thinkgeek.com, uh, they've recently, uh, they, they do a couple of like video game vinyls each year. Uh, this last week they released on two solid gold vinyl discs for under $100 the records that are in the goddamn Voyager probe. <laughs> so there's like uh, rainforest recordings, but also 50 different languages I and a bunch of other. Re- exactly. It's like, I want that too. Who will ever listen to that? Me. <laughs> well, I want to see what that does to my brain while I work. If you <laughs> listen to the shamans, though, it's actually scary. Oh, because yeah, they're, I don't they're really chanting. want to listen to that. You know, you do hear some rainforest things going on, but they're chanting and they're in a different state. <sighs> and they probably have taken something that grows on trees that messes with your mind. What bad could <laughs> grow on trees? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of scary, but I, I, I like doing things like that. Brock yeah. just went onto his laptop. I assume you're buying me the Voyager albums right now. 
Uh, no, uh, who's the cult leader that did the Kool-Aid? All of them. Um, uh, Jim Jones. Yeah, yeah. a friend of mine has an obsession with getting cult leaders vinyls, of which there are many, and he has multiple Jim Jones. Just Jim Jones talking to his folks, just being like, you guys, nope. things are going to end up great. And I was like, that's in the category you, of things I don't do want. Do you listen to this? <laughs> and uh, actually that Voyager one, a customer, Jack Hope, wants that for Christmas. He's asked for that. Sorry, Jack, Hope sorry, Jack Hope. Yeah. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> Jack Hope the third. <laughs> oh, the third hope. Yeah. Oh, good. He wants that for Christmas. It's not it's, a new hope. It's the third hope. Yeah. And, and the thing about vinyl records that, that makes some of this... Uh, insanity makes sense is that you're like okay this vinyl is for sale today at a regular human price which is what happens to me with every mondo Mm -hmm. release like it's maybe 30 bucks to get this in a month it will be 200 and if you ever want this thing it'll be more than that and and vinyl records become this weird fight or flight situation where you're like well either i can spend money i don't have now or i'll spend way more later when i eventually which is why i i guess i have the iron fist soundtrack now i don't remember getting that <laughs> yeah. i just had to complete the whole marvel set and i was like let's just have it brock gets upset with me sometimes or not upset just not upset just disappointed because i like he's gotten me into vinyl I have my own little dinky vinyl player up in my office. The one but, she can touch, unlike the yep, one on the main floor. <laughs> but I, I, it is, I will fully admit, it is, it's just not my thing. Like, I just, I, I like it, I just don't get it. And so sometimes he'll come to me and be like, I tried so hard, I got, I was on, I was in an eBay bid for this album you really like, but it, it got to like 500 and then the, yes. and then the record ended up being scratched and so they couldn't send it to me. And I, I'm just like, I... That's fine. Couldn't care less. It's I could pretend to care more. I I admit. And see, I would never do that. I would yeah. never spend five hundred dollars on a record. Does that? I've, I've done I've done over five hundred once for her, and that was for the that's... almost famous soundtrack. Yes. Because that's she has a tattoo that relates to that. I it's we worked at a job yeah. that related mm-hmm. to almost famous. Like I. I felt like it and was okay. That, like, what was the deal with that? Like, it didn't have a full vinyl release or something? Like, it's not a thing you can buy. Yeah, right. the director made it for his friends. Yeah. That's how many records are out there. So, that come on. I'm his friend. Yes, I bought you friendship. <laughs> Thank you. I, Merit, answer me this. Why is it that my wife doesn't like it when I play uh, horror movie soundtracks, uh, which are either uh, loud synthesizers or just the sound of glass breaking and women screaming yeah. just all day long he every day. Loves sound tra- <laughs> he loves scores. He loves scores I... for horror movies and video games, which I don't want to be listening to in but the house. If you start with your 70s Italian horror films and you keep going with Ennio Marconi, with the seventies things that he did, not the the you know not the mission, yeah. But that early Morricone thinks it's so b- bizarre, it's so weird. I what I love about those kind of soundtracks and even world music from that time, they take a little bit of what we do here in the United States for music and then make it their own. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a wonderful thing. You can get a seventies soundtrack that is actually jazzy that you don't expect it for an Italian gangster movie. And it's got a It's kind of a, a wonderful jazzy, thing. Yeah. But can yeah. I ask you this, and now you've become the third party in our fight. If you had a dinner party, would you put on a horror movie soundtrack in the background? Yes. Well, fine, then I'm just weird. Yes, I, I always say that if I was going to have people over, I would force... 
I would have a big screen TV on and have all my Japanese horror films play. play films playing <laughs> is one thing, but like at Look, background Look, you, you and your partner are dinner. now more welcome in this house than I am. Yeah. This is so upsetting. <laughs> no, I have no problem with the movie playing. It's when there's the video, when the, what's the horror, I'm going to say what's the horror video game like there's one, the, the. The really never mind any horror. No, I video. actually need you to rein this one in now. <laughs> the one where you're walking around like a factory or whatever. Freddy's Five Nights at Freddy's. If I'm having a dinner party, I don't want fucking Five Nights at Freddy's music playing in the background. Okay, I guess okay, I'm right. just I'm leaning on to, I'm okay. going over to your side. For I'm that getting one. you on my side. You're, I'm leaning over toward that side. Yes, yes. Which is an actual thing that has happened yeah. in our home. I've noticed they're using Lesbos Vampiros for a commercial now, for no. a shaving commercial. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, there's also a uh, shaving commercial uh, for the tie-in to Justice League, uh, which is amazing because they had to CGI out Superman's mustache from all the reshoots. And you're like, for come on, commercial. you could have bought that $5 uh, razor yeah. and saved $100 million. Commercial. Yeah, it should have been. Like, it's like, oh, come on, recognize some irony somewhere. <laughs> so you've been working in this music industry. Uh, vinyl is a fairly new thing to me. It's four or five years ago, I was at a friend's party, Brandon Bales. Uh, Hi, Brandon. And I realized that my new point of like recognizing when I'm too drunk at a party is when I go to change the music uh, without being invited to. And it was a vinyl record. And I think I took off uh, four and instead put on an Interpol record. And it was the wrong speed. So I just left it on like <laughs> things from the worst coast and just walked back into the party. And the next morning, instead of being like, let me pull back on my drinking, I was like, time to buy a record player. And, and in fact, first I went to amoeba and bought like all the block party albums and still didn't have a record player I was like okay this is actually that happens all a, the time a new problem uh so i've been in it and i've loved it and found it so rewarding for a couple of years what has the last 10 years of vinyl been like for you actually it's helped me with music it's helped me actually listen to music because just like anything else if i'm trying to buy music for the store or mm -hmm. my other store or even trying to do the radio show. Sometimes you get in this habit of it has to catch you within the first 15 seconds and then you hit the button and you go on to the next track. And that has has slowed me down to do that and to actually listen to the record. It requires your full attention. Yes, you it can't does. be on your phone right. and also sending a text and also like the like it it requires the attention to music, which is that same thing that my my dad having come up on, on records and stuff, uh, when I came up as a kid on CDs, he was like, you know, we couldn't just skip tracks back then. You had no. to listen to a whole album side by side. And I was like, I'll never know what that means. And now I do. Well, you can have a favorite side. Yeah. I've always had sometimes favorite sides and I've never listened to side two after, you know, three or four times. And side one is the only thing I listened to on that album. And that, so you can still do that, but you still listen to all of side one. I got her the Hamilton soundtrack, which is her favorite yeah. thing to listen to. And the entire, like, third and fourth disc oh, of they've it. Never she never been gets played. to. They've never been sad played. Don't songs. tell Anne that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No. We will I, keep some yeah. secrets from Anne. I don't I don't always like listening to act 2. So uh, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, I no mean, one needs a reckoning. It's kind yeah. of <laughs> I mean, I grew up like again, I'm not I'm not a super vinyl person, but something I really appreciate about it is that I grew up uh you know, loving the art of like mixtapes, mix CDs, like so many other people. And I've always loved uh, a, an album that 
tells a story or that like you know flows in such a way that is incredibly deliberate that, that when the album flows but that is like an a album. song that right. is yeah. that is an album right, but, because when they put it together people have spent a lot of time deciding what is track one yes. what is track two what is track three etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so that you're you're actually respecting the artist exactly. when you do that because a lot of thought has been put into that and it's not just happenstance right i feel all. like i yeah. have though heard i don't i don't know i don't want to say like kids these days but like I feel like I have heard a lot of albums where it doesn't, where the tracks are very good, but it doesn't have the same sort of like complete narrative. That's because in the music business right now, everybody has to have a different producer right. for every track. Right. Which means you don't have Tom Dowd in charge of the whole kit and caboodle. You've got Max Barton on here. You've got Dr. Luke on there. You've got blah, blah, blah on this track. And yeah. hopefully and that's not Dr. What, Luke on anything. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I think hurts the flow of it yeah. instead of having just one producer. But the record labels want to hit. And I so remember they just Britney's uh, album yeah. with Toxic on it was yeah. the first that I ever looked at the back of it. And each song was listed, and then the producer was listed underneath yeah. on the back of the album. I was like, so yeah. we know what's selling. Like, everyone's a consumer now in such a way that they understand what they're buying into. Exactly. So I think that, to me, that's what hurts an album. But then the rappers do it, mm -hmm. and it's been so successful for rappers to have multiple people on the albums, multiple producers. This person's doing one track. <laughs> this person's doing another just let Rick Rubin do the whole thing. Yeah. And then it could be consistent. <laughs> let I'm, Rick fix, fix Kanye. Yeah. I'm just now realizing, I know I never know what Brock owns because you have so many albums, but I'm just now yeah. realizing that some of my favorite albums in that sense where I listen to the whole thing, like watching a movie, like following a story that just takes you, I'm realizing that I don't think I even own some of those because there I mean there are so many that I have that I love that right. that I would skip tracks I don't if I'm listening to it on vinyl but I but I could but I'm realizing like any Fiona Apple album is coming <laughs> to mind that 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 feels like watching a movie to me like you wouldn't skip around we, scenes we, we, we brought this up while talking to Viv about coming mm -hmm. to do the emo podcast and she referred yeah. <laughs> to it as the Ani DeFranco problem which is yeah. that we oh, it was yeah. yeah Ani DeFranco and Radiohead for me are big ones it, it's that we came up mm -hmm. in that era of like we're downloading everything through Napster, so... Brock you asked don't me, understand Brock, an album. Brock asked yeah, me, like, no. I'm like, he's like, oh, what's your favorite Radiohead album? I'm like, I don't know, my playlist from 1999. Exactly. Yeah. And even for me, like, I, I, I didn't know until vinyl... Uh, what order most Kanye West albums yeah. were in. I was like, oh, I always thought it started with this song because no. it, just, yeah. you, no. it was alphabetical yeah. based on how I downloaded and it. And there are some artists and some albums where it doesn't matter. Their tracks are sure. great, but what I'm talking about are those albums that feel like watching a movie. Well, the album itself is not that old, and music makes big shifts mm -hmm. every 20 or so years. So the fact that you know we do have multiple producers, and it does seem like the album is not cohesive, mm -hmm. it's not surprising because, again, we're ready for the, another disruption. And the disruption oh. is Spotify and streaming, which means we have lost the album again because people are putting listening to tracks. But if you think about it, you know, the really first kind of concept albums that we think of as something that is planned from track one, two, three is Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and so that's how that's how recent it was. All an album was was putting 78s together in a package or actually if it was 33 and a third, just putting that artist's 78s together on a 33 and a third. Huh. It wasn't thought of as a full concept from beginning to end until Frank. Do now I need to know. 
do you sell a copy of that Frank Sinatra sci-fi concept album? <laughs> Not to sci-fi. Damn concept. it! I want that. <laughs> I do have. I do have a rare Frank Uranus. Sinatra. <laughs> I have a Frank Sinatra forty-five that. He had done for Lou Wasserman, who you would know, <laughs> being from California, you know him. Yes. Uh, and so it was his 50th anniversary at Universal. So Frank had the words to, uh, that's why the lady is a tramp, changed to, that's why the man is a champ for Lou Wasserman. And I've got that 45. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, uh, so I, that's one of my rare ones. Wow. Yeah. I come from Salina, so I know the people behind acoustic sounds. Yes. Uh, I've and, met them all in person. Yeah. Do you want to explain what, what so that is? So acoustic sounds, uh, basically, uh, this guy, uh, 15, 16 years ago, got busted for, I believe, heroin uh, in New Orleans. Uh, yes, and, exactly. And uh, the judge basically sentenced him to move to my hometown. It was right. like, you've got to move to Salina, Kansas, where you can't do anything because there's nothing to do. Uh, and he bought an old Baptist church turned it into a yearly jazz festival where he was recording stuff, but he was also huge into vinyl just before the resurgence happened. So he has this insane amount of money now to do these albums. And so what they do is they get the original tapes for albums uh, and they look at the studio notes on stuff. So they'll do a Pink Floyd album uh, and they'll look at the notes and be like, oh, hey, this actually wasn't the guitar solo that was supposed to go over this song, or there was actually a piano part in which you were here that, that was supposed to be here. So they remaster these things, remastering them off the artist's original notes. But they also find things like uh, they got something that was uh, Elvis went into the studio to do a test recording when stereo had just been invented. And they're like, we should see if this should be a thing. So they just released his like three days in the studio with all the artists, including all the in-between times where he's just like bumming smokes off the guitarist and like, I fucking hate this song. And you're like, cool, I'm hearing this on a record right now. This is the best thing that has ever happened. That sounds like all of my favorite Beatles albums, which it's, are the anthologies. Yeah, the anthologies. Where they're just in yeah. the studio going like, oh, well, I fucked that up. The greatest <laughs> thing about acoustic sounds and quality pressings, but you have to explain to people... Why is this one $75? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this one's $25. But I don't want to pay that much. <laughs> and then you have to tell them it's 45 RPM instead of 33 and a third. And what does 33 and a third mean? And, and they're like, well, I what? just want a CD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. Let's forget it. So what you, you are so tapped into what is happening and you actively pay so much attention to this. What are your couple of albums that happened this year that just got you out of nowhere? I would say Sampha's album got me out of nowhere. And a British artist, This Is The Kit, she's going to make my top 10. She mm -hmm. just came from out of nowhere and it just struck me. I like sad songs, too, and female <laughs> artists who are kind of sad. So I love the Phoebe Bridges album. Um, one of my favorite albums this year, it came out actually on Record Store Day in April. Uh, they had people who had escaped from Cambodia who had actually recorded an album in, a, in their internment camp. Uh, in Indonesia while they were waiting to leave Cambodia and it just shows you the strength because in Cambodia as we know after when Pol Pot came into power any artist you could be as big as Madonna and you disappeared and you were never seen again two million people just disappeared overnight me and, and Viv just did the most dramatic yeah. unison wine drink of all time I was like this is the saddest thing I've ever heard well but it isn't because people hid their records yeah. and that's how we have a uh have a history of what was going on in Cambodia in the 60s and the 70s because people in the 50s because people hid their records. Oh and then, you know, when it these these people were in the 
uh, a camp getting ready to try to, you know, immigrate to someplace else. And they're still making music. And the songs are so sad. Uh, you know, I want my mother back. She died, you know, things like that. But they're beautifully sung. So I, I like things wow. like that, too, because uh, the world is flat when it comes to music. And again, it'll show you that people will risk their lives. We don't understand here that people will risk their lives for music, you know, and, and especially in in you know, Asian countries in the 70s where you could be jailed for playing electric guitar. That, I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I I think a lot of people think about, like, well, the last thing, last time that happened was, like, East Berlin. And it's like that. No, it's, no. it's mm-hmm. it, it, it was, and that shows you the power of music that yeah. people will risk going to jail just to get their music out there. Yeah. Now, you also in the store have turned it into a performance space, as you were telling us, and you mostly do DIY bands that have only performed in your space outside of a basement. How did you get into that world? Well, because that's always been kind of a Kansas City tradition with record stores. In stores have been, for all of the independent record stores that you see around here, almost everybody has in stores. And so... It just started that way because we wanted to continue the tradition. There was a great store that used to be on Main and Westport Road called Recycle Sounds. And Anna Winter was, oh my God, you you didn't even know the music knowledge. You wouldn't even talk to her because she was so great. And she Anna, all, Anna, Anna Winter, Winter, like... Winter. Like oh, the, okay. The <laughs> no, I, I was thinking it too. <laughs> yeah, like the season. And, um, you know, she always had in stores. A lot of the bands that are still kind of around started with her. And so we just wanted to keep the tradition. Unfortunately, you know, we will let people play on a Sunday when we shouldn't, and they're a little bit too loud. And as you can see from our parking lot, there are people around the corner. Oh, oh because yeah. you're right next to a church, right? I, no, or... around the corner on Wyoming, we have people who To a who commercial can... acting studio. Yeah. Oh, okay. We, we, I was going to be like, on Sundays, us, yeah. like, because of God? I don't know. Like, like, on Sunday night, if oh, you've got oh, a band. Okay, on Sunday night. That yeah. is, you know, so loud that everybody has on earplugs. So you can, if, you, if it's like that, yeah. you're like, oh, my God. This How were the yeah. fuck nicks? 20 yeah. of you were in this space. Let's yeah. do it. And it's like, okay, are they going to... We've had the police call twice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and they've been always nice. And like, oh, your music is so great. Somebody called me to talk about it, you know? And they just... Uh-huh. Were, oh, Mr. Police. Yeah. But we're always finished by midnight, which okay. is the cutoff time. And you guys might have that problem up the street because Blind Tiger wants to open... A new oh. place on the corner on on your corner where the resale shop is. Oh, okay. And the whole neighborhood's against it. Oh, huh. <laughs> fun. Yeah, because now you'll see what live music sounds like when you're trying to go to bed on Sunday night. Right. Yeah. We we had talked about this uh, right before we started recording. Uh, one of the things about moving here is that. We joined the app next door, which is like a uh, hilarious, yes. <laughs> a hilarious Facebook for just your neighborhood, and and we've had the same experience that almost everyone else around the country has with this, which is to find out everyone that lives around you is racist. Well, also just really mad about everything. Mad about and everything. Racist. And racist. I think yes. my recycling bin blew away the other day, and it might have been that suspicious looking. And yeah. you're just like, no, stop, no. just yeah. stop, don't do yeah. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I join I'm I'm still in Volker next door even though I'm not in Volker anymore yeah. I'm in, mm-hmm. in Hyde Park which is which is a know. very specific Facebook group that we are now yeah. also in yes. yeah <laughs> yes and I think sometimes it's helpful because 
you actually find out about the a, robbery before the news. A lot of robberies, oh, yeah. a lot of missing pets, a, a lot, lot of racism, of, a lot of people being mad about and, everything. And uh, <laughs> as of last night, a lot of like drunken apologies to a group oh, of men. Oh my god, someone someone posted a message that got emailed to everyone in the group, so it didn't matter that it was deleted about like, I'm sorry I stumbled into your house, thanks for being really cool, even though I was feisty. <laughs> yeah, and the, the message just kept going and going, yeah. and you're like, oh, you fell onto this keyboard to write this and when you were like the message is gone now on the website it's like it's not gone from our hearts though well kansas city's always had a tradition of being a racially divided city and it's going to come up even more when they privatize the streets in westport yeah and it's always Uh, for for those of you that are listening they're out of town uh, basically our neighborhood is uh privatizing the city streets uh which some people uh think is a draconian move and it kind of is uh, but uh, there will be an ability for police to pull people over as they walk on the sidewalk and basically magnetic wand them yes. to look for uh, guns, which are legal. kind of okay. There, You can legally have them here, but also people on our street are getting mugged all of the time, so there is a back and forth here. Yeah. But since the guns have become legal and concealed and open carry... Most of the guns are coming from people leaving them in their car. Right. <laughs> They're being stolen from right in their car on their front seat. So it's it's really strange. And Kansas City traditionally had a dividing line called Truist. For, we, uh, Godfrey yeah. talked about this yeah. as well because yeah. Godfrey lives on Truist. Right. Oh, okay. That's, so yeah. if you were east of Truist, you... And, and the... If you go to the Plaza, which is a big shopping center, one of the first shopping centers in the country. That it's started. a cheesecake factory that yeah. never ends. Yeah, yes. it's a cheesecake factory, mall, open air, Americana, the, Grove sort of thing. And the person who started that and who was a big real estate person, you'll still see J.C. Nichols. Actually, you could not rent. I don't care how much money you had. You could not rent or buy any J.C. Nichols properties. That's why people want to take down the statue. If you were black or Jewish. There's so much here. Also, I want to be a rich person named Nichols. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're very funny. (laughs) No, I'm not. That's very upsetting. Oh, I thought you were making a joke about Nichols being a small coin. Yes. I thought so, too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Terrence edited that out. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Terrence, for editing this podcast. Please listen to Terrence and buy his cookies. What are you talking about? So we're getting ready for Record Store Day. Yes. What, so how does Record Store Day work from your perspective? Because I've experienced it before, camping out at 3 a.m. outside of Amoeba in Los Angeles uh, to desperately fight people to try and buy something and then never getting it. What is your experience like as a record seller? <laughs> I What we do for Black Friday, it's a little bit different from the April Record Store Day because... It's less titles. Uh, people don't really push and shove. There are some hot titles that are coming out. Whenever you have Dave Matthews, Grateful Dead, you know Neil Young, those are going to be Dawes. hot titles. Dawes. <laughs> but it's not a big fight. What we do, and we learn this from other stores, in April we do a five and five. We let five people in at a time. And you can only get five albums, one a piece. That's you, incredible. You can't get five if there's like a brand new. Mm-hmm. You can't get all five of them. You can get one. And then if you you can get back in line and start again. Because that was As the a, dick thing about LA was that you'd have people yeah, at the front no. line. They were like, I'm buying all of them yeah. and I'm eBaying them while I'm in Right. Line. And, and you can't, we don't let people, most of the stores won't let people buy multiple copies of anything until it's, you know, that Sunday you can have whatever you want. 
But that that day, most of the stores, I think, still do the five and five. On Black Friday, it's not that much of a shove. But on April Record Store Day, it is. Yeah. And it, it's a He'll bit. He'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> so, At- we, we, yeah, we'll, so on Friday, we probably won't have a line. In April, we'll have a line to the church. Wow. At six Jesus. at six thirty. That's like a blocker too. That's yeah. two. That's yeah. two blocks. blocks. Yeah. yeah that's a, and I, and we we just sit there. We have a door person, and it's five in, and one person comes out, comes out, wow. and we try to stick to the five and five. If somebody has a little bit more than that, we don't have a, a breakdown about it. Yeah. But I I'll think that makes them. it. That makes it fair for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. As, as a longtime Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, <laughs> I'm just really happy to finally know what 5x5 five five means. So It means Merit only lets you buy that many records. It's very and important. And then you can get back I, in line I'm happy and, and now. do it again. You can get back in line and start all over again. And and also, uh, the, uh, around Black Friday... Uh, the there is a there is a difficult thing here where uh, a lot of record store people are also just moving it to Saturday, which is the small business Saturday yeah. thing. Right, and I think we stick with Black Friday. And the only thing about small business Saturday, which is sponsored by American Express, I said oh, this, you know, the smallest. I said, of yeah, I said this years ago. <laughs> the best way American Express could help small businesses is not charge the highest rate for the card. They yeah. have, well, you tell Mr. Potter that, yeah. and we'll see what happens. They, they charge the highest I, rate for a credit card. I am so ashamed that I didn't know they sponsored that. Yes. <laughs> yes. They'll actually let you advertise for free through them. Oh, how benevolent of them. And I always well, say, yeah. I always the say, real small business now? Yeah, I always say, just lower your rates, and that will help or every small business. Or donate the rate back to the business <laughs> yeah. for that one day. For Bo- one day. Both of your yeah. levels started peaking, but it was from outrage. but it's it's it helps some people you never see again until april and we really do it i i'm being honest we do it for our our regular customers if it wasn't for the regular customers and keeping them happy and satisfied i would love to probably skip it but we don't and so you you do think about the people that are there once a week, once a month, who enjoy Record Store Day, and that's what we do it for. I had meant to ask, like, when you get these sort of shipments, I know you sign up for it, but at what point are you like, this is not worth the hassle of hiring security? Yeah, for? it's and, and, you know, that's another thing about Record Store Day is that you can order 20 of a product and get two. Right. So it's no all, idea what no you're going to wind up with. And, and some things you ordered five of and didn't really want five, but you got all five anyway <laughs> the, because you were hoping that you didn't get five. The fuck of Amoeba in Los Angeles yeah. was that they put up like this giant board out front that had a list of everything. And as people started getting their orders filled, they would just come out and start crossing off things like gladiators at a tournament. Because they be didn't like, put limits on them, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you'd be like, well, I'm, I'm 10 people away, but I'm definitely going to get that at the drive-in. And people would start walking the line back, just be like, hey, are you getting this thing? To try and figure out if they could still be there for another mm-hmm. four hours to get the thing. I was like, oh, this is, maybe I have a sickness. Mm-hmm. Am I doing something that is unnecessary? Mm-hmm. If people had uh, no buy-in to vinyl at this point, and somebody for Christmas gets them a small record player, what are the first five vinyl records they should get? I would get a Beatles just any Beatles. I would get any. I, I mean, you can just, to me, you can get Beatles one if you want to, just to for fun. But I we would, do have that. Yeah. The most sellout vinyl we can have. Get that Cirque du Soleil soundtrack. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I would get I'll leave now. a Beatles. I would get, for jazz, I know it seems 
sort of easy, but it's a great way to to ease a person into jazz is kind of blue. Yes. Yeah. Because Absolutely. it's it's probably the easiest one to listen to for people and enjoy, yeah. and then they can branch off to see if they want to go wilder or not. And then I'm going to guess three Bowies. Uh, one, <laughs> one Bowie. Okay. And I would recommend the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust because yeah. you don't have to start well, at the beginning. Yeah. I would get that. So I've got two more to go. I would get my Carol King tapestry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone got... starts in the same place. <laughs> yeah, you've got to have some sort of folky sort of yeah. down home, Maybe good, a Joni great Mitchell piano. Or something. And, oh, definitely get a Joni Mitchell. Yeah. I would also probably get, oh, I, I would have to get something blues. And I don't know if you can start a person off necessarily on Robert Johnson. If they've never heard early blues because it's kind of really strange to your ears and your heart. Right. So I would start off with a little bit, you know, I hate to say BB King, but you would start with somebody a little bit more electric chess period, muddy waters or something instead of, and then you graduate to a Robert Johnson. I mm-hmm. think once your ears can get used to that, that and, sound and bonus round best soundtrack to get. I, well, yeah, I got yeah, the clueless yeah, soundtrack yeah. from you the other day. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not, not, that wasn't the that's question. That's not going to yeah. be your answer, but I just want to no, make it. No, I don't clear know. That I, I love soundtracks. So Five that Nights would at be, Freddy's. Yeah, that would it's be not it. on vinyl. Why do you keep <laughs> starting from this place? <laughs> that would be hard. I would actually get something like Amadeus. I really would. Yes. Ooh. I, I would. I love Ennio Marconi. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I would actually recommend getting a best of of his of all the, because they mix the spaghetti western things with the more yeah. modern. You know, it's it's just such a beautiful thing. But I the soundtracks I love sometimes are the ones where the directors love music. Yes. Right. So you have Quentin Tarantino who loves music, who's always going to put together a great soundtrack. And then you learn about April March and you become friends <laughs> of April March yeah. because she's in death proof and it just keeps going on and on. I got uh, Zodiac today. And okay. of course that starts yeah. with three dog nights yeah. and you're like, yeah. I mean, this that, is not what I remember Zodiac being, but that's, yes, <laughs> that's what Cameron Crowe did for me as a kid. That's, yeah, why, exactly. that's why I have the almost, almost famous tattoo. Yeah. He got me into so much music from singles to almost famous. Like that was music for me. Yeah, we've we've lost a lot of our nineties great great singers. Oh, Chris Cornell. I loved Chris yeah. Cornell. I love him. <sighs> uh, yeah. my, he came through Salina a bunch and my dad kept seeing him do these solo shows where he's like, Chris Cornell would just come out on stage have 18 guitars with different tunings behind him and for three hours was there. And my mom would go to these shows and be like I don't know, he's very good, but like in the third hour, I don't know what else to do. But like the week before his death, uh, Soundgarden was playing out here. And my dad had reached out to be like, I just wish somebody would have been here to go with me. When we like, were in LA. Yeah. While we were right. still in LA, I was like, this is the weirdest guilt trip I could be on that yeah. I wasn't yeah. there to go see. They were Chris here Cornell. and he was dead a week or so Jesus. later. I think yeah. some of it, I don't, I, you know, his, I think his wife blames some of the medication he was on, but. I don't know what a musician is like when you go from filling stadiums to doing 1800. Right. That has to do something to you. It's like when Rick yeah. Rubin found out that Johnny Cash was, you know, at a bar in, in Pasadena. Right. He's like, oh no, Johnny Cash does <laughs> yeah. not sing. We're going to do the American recordings yeah, we, now. Yeah. We're going to make sure you leave something here. Right. We're not going to yeah. have Johnny Cash singing in some down, you know, some bad bar. So I don't know if that hurts your psyche or not, you know. I mean, I some, it, yeah, yeah, some artists can like really, whether they need to or it's a deliberate choice, can readjust to be like, no, I play intimate club secret shows now. But like, right. if if you can't, if you can't like readjust your 
your brand, for lack of a less crude term, right. to do that. <laughs> It's gotta hurt. But you always tell the the young like kids Johnny that play. Yeah. Hurt. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. The kids you're like kicked off the, the podcast. Yeah. And you the, are the weakest link. And the story you always tell them that you have to play your heart out for, you know, twenty people who aren't your family, and, and if you get bigger for twenty thousand people. Yeah. I'll never forget they had Wilson Phillips on, uh, some show, and they were doing uh, live performances at a Macy's. And there were like five people there. No. Five, and they still sang. They did not. They went ahead and did their whole act anyway. And it's just like, oh my gosh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> that's heartbreaking. But and then that bridesmaids resurgence. Yeah. And then yeah. and they came back again. I kept but, it inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, keep things inside. <laughs> where can people find you online? Where are you acting? And in person. Where in is person, your store? we're at sixteen fourteen Westport Road. We always say across the street from Rudy's, which has been there for over 20 years, mm-hmm. and most people know that. And then we're online at Records with Merit. We have a live Facebook page. When we do have live shows. We post those on the for the week. We had a great show on Saturday afternoon. We missed it because I keep forgetting yeah. how time works. I said to him yeah. before he came tonight, I was like, that's this Saturday, right? And he's right. like, no, last Saturday. So we won't I have any live music again God, until December. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was an adult show. So you that's what you really said. You sold it. us yes. on it. We came in and you were like, well, we were like, what are your shows? And you're like, well, for adults. <laughs> as, like, do you, do you do kid shows? And you're like, no, just like youths. Yeah, so. just uh, people who have It's like their... puppet thrash punk. Yeah. They do the great works of literature. Stop it. I want it. So we were bummed that we missed yeah, that they, show. Yeah, they but... have honed their skills. And one of the bands was called Hillary Watts Riot. If you ever look them up, they're great. And electric lungs, which are, you know, he has a keyboard that sounds like a Hammond B3. If yes. You don't see, if you yes. don't see the keyboard, you swear he's playing a Hammond B3. It's great. So the the Facebook, you said yeah. the Facebook, is there a website? Just There's Facebook? a website. It's uh, www.recordswithmerit.com. I don't really put a lot of things on there except for new releases right. and, and things like that. And your so Twitter mostly links to your Facebook. Yes, it's yeah. all the links, yeah. Facebook is yeah. the way to go. Yeah. And what is a restaurant art place or something that people need to do in Kansas City? What is a what? Like a, a restaurant or an art place or just something very Like if someone's visiting cool and yeah. number two after they I go would say, to Records with Merit. Actually, mm-hmm. if you went to the Nelson and you can look at art and eat oh, that's in their the big ca- museum. Yeah, and eat in their cafe. Oh, it is so great. But a sandwich, well, you're probably used to high prices, mm-hmm. but a sandwich <laughs> is like $9 in a bowl oh, of so soup. Oh, so cheap. $9. So cheap. Yeah, and a bowl of soup, half a bowl of soup might be 4 or 5 but it's delicious. So oh, my so you can, $9. you can you can hit two and one at and the Kemper Museum, which is around the corner, is also a great place to see art and eat delicious food. So we do it all here. My um my my I don't know when we're releasing this. So either my mother and my brother are coming out, or they have come out. Wait, they're coming out tomorrow. So whenever we release this, my mother and my brother came out for Thanksgiving and we were going to do a uh, brewery and distillery tour the day after Thanksgiving. And my younger brother uh, was like, no, I want to go to a museum. So we're going to the Nelson. And I'm He's very... so bad at party. <laughs> so I'm very excited for that. So we, by the time this comes out, 
I will have agreed with you, and, and it was great. Please go to the please go to the cafeteria. There. Okay, it's it's in a my nine dollar sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> sit down. It's got a wonderful fountain. It's pretty loud, but the food is delicious. And well, I don't have to talk to family after the, Thanksgiving. That sounds great. <laughs> a lot of the old you, Kansas City families who are the blocks from H and R Block who are you know started here. They've you know Wait, the all, family's name is Block. It's yeah. not like a block. Of, no, H and R Block that I does the taxes. Brock Block. Brock Block party. It's an H and R Block party. Yeah, who yeah. <laughs> does the taxes? The tax yeah. company before they sold it. All of those old families. One thing that's been a really great that they have donated their wonderful collections to the museums. Huh. Yeah, the Kemper Museum was started by Crosby Kemper, who is an old Kansas City family with his own collection. Is Nelson modern art? No, it does have modern art. When it was first started, uh, Rock Hill Nelson, who actually was the publisher of the Star and the Times, the Kansas City Papers, he that was his daughter's home that you see. Oh. He hated modern art after 1918, after the big show. So when he left the money and the in the the building for the museum. One of the things that were in the bylaws is that you could not have any modern art in there. But I they, love 1917 they, and before. It's right, very but not, specific. I just no. want to have so much money that I can dictate what art oh, is. Oh, but they, 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 the they've Nelson gone around there. They've gone around that. Yeah, you'll, okay. see, you'll see everything modern there. They've gotten around there. You know, the newest building is called The Shed. People call it The Shed. That's all modern. So they've got tons of modern art there, too. We keep it in the mass grave. That's yeah. our, our, our weird joke name for where it goes. Yeah. Keep it in the block. And it's, <laughs> it's got one of the biggest Chinese collections, too, if you okay. like Chinese art, too. Yeah. Viv, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter occasionally saying stupid things at Viv underscore came. You can find me every day, Monday through Friday, at themarysue.com, ranting about... The patriarchy basically is all I do. <laughs> I'm Brock Wilbur at Brock Wilbur. You can find me online at Brock Wilbur and BrockWilbur.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. What was, was that Brock Wilbur? No one knows. <laughs> Good night. Night. Bye. Bye. <laughs>